0: I heard a, a quote several years ago and I can't remember who said it, but it's, it's a quote that stuck with me and it goes something like this. Um, there are two really significant days in a person's life, the day that they're born and the day that they discover why they were born. And I, I love that quote because I think there's like something so deep in the heart of every human being that resonates with it because that quote kind of revolves around what I believe are two of the most important aspects of the human existence and that is our understanding of identity and our understanding of purpose identity is about who you are and, and purpose is about why it is that you've been given the right to exist in this particular moment in human history. And something amazing happens, I think, when especially followers of Jesus begin to understand that our identity comes from someone beyond us and that our sense of purpose has been set from someone beyond us. And when we begin to live into this intersection of identity and purpose, God begins to do amazing things. Uh, yesterday, I had the, the joy and honor of of uh, preaching at a funeral for somebody that I love and admire in ways that are hard for me to express. Her name was Phyllis Feener. She's a part of this church for the last seven years just lived this incredible life. And I'm sitting there in this funeral. They had this moment where it was an open mic moment where anybody in the church could come up and could share anything about Phyllis, which is kind of a dangerous thing to do in a big group setting to say, here's a microphone, talk as long as you want. But it was amazing. We sat there for a couple of hours and we just, we just listened to people reflect on, on the beauty of this woman's life. And over and over and over, I was just being reminded of, of what happens when a person gives their life to the purposes of God that have been set out before them. Like like something happens when when somebody allows every moment to be filled with the purposes of God. And so each person kept standing up and talking about Phyllis and just how she loved her family and how she loved her husband and how she loved her neighbors and how she loved the least of these. And it was just one of those pictures of what it looks like to live your life like smack dab in the middle of God's purposes. And so last night, Sydney and I, we got back from the funeral, and we're walking around the neighborhood. I'm like, man, God, I don't, I don't know when that moment's gonna come for each of us. But man, at the end of our life, may people look at us and say, man, that was a man, that was a woman, that was a couple that spent their life yielded to the purposes of God for them. Because here's what I know. Anytime somebody lives into the purposes of God, it always blesses people around them. Like it, it is fundamentally impossible for you to live into the things that God has made you for and for your life to not by default become an immeasurable blessing to the people all around you. And what I was seeing yesterday was just so much fruit of a life that was lived into the purposes of God. And I love this because this is what Peter's gonna speak into in 1 Peter chapter two. You get to verse nine and right before this, he's, he's talked about just this reality that so many people, get hung up on Jesus. They don't know how to follow Jesus. They don't know how to live into the things of Jesus. But look at verse nine with me. This is what he says. He says, but as for you, he says, but as for you, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's special possession so that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Peter says, so many people around you, they are stuck living purposeless lives. He says, but that's not the case for you. He says, because you know who you are. And he says, here's who you are. He says, you are chosen, you are royal, you are holy, you are special. He says, I know all throughout the week in your nine to five, you're getting beat up by people. People are attacking your character, your identity. He says, you feel like a nobody. He says, but in the kingdom of God, he says, here are the things that define you. You are chosen, royal, holy, special. He says, that's your identity. That's who you are. He says, but let me tell you what it is that you've been put on earth to do. He says, here's your purpose. He says, all of those things have happened so that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into the wonderful light. Like Peter says, I don't care what your nine to five is. He says, I don't care if you're an accountant or a musician, if you're an artist, if you're a a stay-at-home mom, if you're a businesswoman or a businessman, if you're a mechanic, if you're in between jobs. I don't care if you're young or old or rich or poor or black or white, uh, smart or not as smart, tall or not as tall, thin or not as thin. He says, I don't care who you are. He says, here's the truest thing about you. You are chosen, you are royal, you are holy, you are special and you've been put on earth for a purpose and the purpose by which you've been put on earth is that your life would become a declaration of the goodness and glory of the one that called you out of darkness into light wherever you are whatever it is that you do whatever it is that you're going to show up and be a part of tomorrow that is the purpose of your life and when you live into that purpose the people around you are blessed i think sometimes we hear that we go man that's that's amazing it sounds great Like, what does it look like to, like, actually live into that chosenness and that royalty and and that holiness and that specialness? Like, what's it look like to live into that? And I think the key to that is seen in this one little word in verse 9. Look back at verse 9. He says, you are a royal priesthood. It's that word priest. He says, here's the way that you begin to live into the things that God has made you for. You begin to understand that you're not just a sinner that was saved by grace, that uh, you weren't just condemned and now you're set free. He says, Jesus didn't just save you. He says, Jesus has saved you and he is now commissioning you into the very places where you do life all the time. And he is commissioning you into those places as a priest. Now, I don't know what you picture when you hear this word priest. Maybe you grew up in a Catholic church or an Episcopalian church or, or, or maybe you grew up in a setting that had priests. And when you think of a priest, a lot of us tend to think of two things. We think of a place and we think of some practices. A lot of times when we think of priests, we think of a cathedral or a church or a temple or in the Old Testament, the tabernacle, we so often think of a certain setting in which the priests do their work. But in the Old Testament, the the, the priests were not confined to a certain place. In fact, you go back, especially if you read in the book of Leviticus, you know that one book that kills everybody's read through the Bible in your plan, you get to the book of Leviticus and it feels so dry and so boring, but it's a really important book because it gives us this picture of how the priests function. And it's there in that book that you get this sense that the priests were never designed to be confined to a place. In fact, over and over, God is going to commission them into the very culture that they're there to serve. But I think a lot of us, when we think of priesthood, we think of a place, or maybe some of us, we think of some practices. We think of rituals. We think of the person that you know, uh, confirmed us when we were a kid or baptized us when we were younger or or gave us communion or took your confession or preached a sermon or whatever it is that goes with your understanding of a priest. We think of uh, ritualistic religious practices. And although some of that happens, that's not the picture of priesthood that you get in the scriptures. And in order for us to understand what Peter is saying here, he's saying, hey, listen, your identity is, you're chosen, you're royal, you're holy, you're special, your purpose is that God has put you here to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness by being a priest in every place that you go. If you're gonna live into that, you have to understand what a priest is. And I just wanna give you two words that I think kind of give us uh, maybe a broader understanding of, of how Peter's using this word. It's the word relationship and Responsibility. In the biblical sense, a a priest was somebody that was walking in a special uh, special measure of relationship with God. The priests were the ones in the Old Testament that were given uh, unlimited access to God, special access to God. They they had his ear, they had his attention, they had his heart in ways that the, the ordinary people of the day didn't. And so a priest was somebody that walked in an extra measure of relationship. But they didn't just walk in an extra measure of relationship, they carried an extra measure of responsibility. They understood that because they knew God in ways that those around them didn't, that they had this responsibility to those that were around them. And so their responsibility kind of unfolded in a variety of ways, kind of first and foremost. It was their responsibility to clearly reflect the beauty of God to the people around them. It was a priest's responsibility to reflect the glory of God. They were supposed to show others what God was like, his qualities, his nature, his heart, his character. I think this is one of the main reasons that even today in our culture, even if you didn't grow up in church and you hear things in the news about a priest doing something that's unthinkable, there's this extra level of frustration and disgust in all of us because even if you didn't grow up in church, there's this deep sense inside of every one of us that a priest, it is their responsibility to reflect the God they serve. This goes back to the core, like back to the very beginning when God began to raise up priests, that they were, they were there to reflect the beauty of the God that they served. But they weren't just there to reflect God's glory. They were there to remember the outsider. And so it was, the, it was the priest's job to remember the poor, to remember those that had been affected and broken by sin, to remember those that had been cast out of community, to remember those that had wandered off. It was the priest's job literally to keep close to their heart those that had run away from the things of God. It was their responsibility to reflect his beauty. It was their responsibility to remember the outsiders. And last but not least, it was their responsibility to reconcile a broken world into the things of God. And so Peter looks at this ordinary group of people. He says, here's who you are. He says, you are chosen. You are royal. You are holy. You are special. That's your identity. And your purpose in life is to declare the praise of God. The one who called you out of darkness into light to declare his praise as a priest. To be the priest of your workplace, to be the priest of your neighborhood, to be the priest of your friend group, to be the priest of whatever sphere of society God has put you in, to be a priest. And in order for us to be priests, it's us understanding that we've been given in Christ special relationship with God and in Christ this kingdom responsibility to reflect his beauty, to remember the outsider and to reconcile the world that is the end know oh God. And Peter makes this audacious claim. In fact, when he made this claim, it was so countercultural, it was so upside down. Most of the people didn't know what to do with it. In fact, the first thousand years of Christian history, people didn't even know what to do with this verse because it was so against their way of thinking. This idea that in the kingdom of God, by the glory of Jesus, every one of us have been commissioned as priests into the place where we've been sent. And Peter says, "But in Jesus, this is the deal. This this is the deal." It's how it works. You're being sent out. And I think sometimes we we think about this and we go, okay, how do we do this? Like, how do we live as priests in the places that God has put us? And I, I think sometimes unintentionally we make this so complicated and we make it so much more difficult than it is. And so over the last couple of weeks, this has been one of the things we've been trying to show you is that living into the purposes of God right here and right now are often far more simple than we can imagine. And so if you're here with us last week, you know, Amy Amy and Travis, they shared the story of how God is beginning to get their attention, how they're beginning to live into this. And uh, tonight, in just a few moments, I'm gonna have my friend Clint come up and we're gonna talk for a few moments about how he's trying to live this out right here in the city, just a couple of blocks from the very place that we're meeting right now. Because I'm convinced that Jesus doesn't just call us here week after week to sing songs and to hear sermons, but he wants to unleash you into the purposes for which he's created you. And I think sometimes in in order to understand what God is doing in us, we have to see what God is doing in somebody else. And so several years ago, Clint and a few guys from Ethos, they felt called by God to kind of live as priests in the place that God had already put them, to invest in these kids in the Edge Hill neighborhood, these kids that in so many ways uh, were just in need of some things that Clint all of a sudden started thinking, man, I, I think we can meet those needs. And he started bringing his passions together and a group of people together to tutor these kids and mentor these kids and serve these kids in some really kind of cool and out of the box ways. And so we're going to show a video that kind of gives you some insight into what that looks like. And then I'm going to invite Clint up here. We're going to have a conversation and then we're going to spend some time in prayer asking God to awaken all of us to the purposes that he's put in us. So let's watch this video together and then we'll have the conversation. Um, You know, so this week I was talking to Clint, and I said, man, I want you to come up, and I want you to just share with our church, and he said, I'd love to do that. I said, but I'm a little bit nervous to, to kind of stand up in front of everybody. And I'm like, man, this is your family. Like, we love you. Can you just help me just show Clint how much we love him and just kind of welcome him up here with me? And, uh, um, man, I, I love this guy. I've gotten to know him over the last couple of years and just, just what God has, has been doing in his life and some of the things that God has been kind of unfolding in you as you've begun to just kind of see that, man, God's put you here in the city for a purpose. He's put you here in this church for a purpose. And, and uh, if you could just kind of start it, just pretend that these folks don't have any idea, like what you do and and what Water Walkers is and why you call it Water Walkers. If you can just kind of give us a sense of, of, of who you are and, and uh, why you're up here. Cool. Uh,
1: Yeah. So Water Walkers, we're a youth mentoring ministry program. Uh, We teach inner city kids how to wake surf, wakeboard, tube, swim, dive, uh, pretty much anything fun you can think of to do on the lake, and then uh, during the school year, we uh, we tutor the kids. Uh, we do an education program right in the center of the neighborhood.
0: Cool. You know, uh, how many kids are a part of the program right now that you guys help mentor, help disciple?
1: Um, so we just did signups for this summer, and there were forty-seven this year.
0: How awesome is that? You can cheer for that if you want. Like forty. 47 kids that they're mentoring. What's, what's been really neat over the last couple of years as I've watched Clint and, and the team work with these kids is it goes so far beyond just kind of like your typical after-school like mentoring. I mean, they are just so involved in, in the lives of these kids. And you know, Clint would never say this about himself. In fact, it'd probably make him feel a little bit awkward, but it's really cool. When I, when I look at your life in so many ways, um, you've kind of become a priest in the Edge Hill neighborhood, at least kind of as we define it, you know, Um, nobody asked you to do that. You know, nobody said, hey, we're gonna hire you to do this thing. But you began to see these needs and you understood that for whatever reason, God had given you this responsibility to reflect the beauty of who he is, to remember those kids that had kind of been left on the margins and to help reconcile them into the kingdom of God. Can you just kind of talk to us about how you went on this journey, how God began to just kind of bring you into this purpose, how he got your attention, how you you thought about this for the first time? Like, what what did that journey look like for you?
1: Uh, So it started about seven years ago at Lipscomb University um, through uh, service learning there. And I was tutoring inner city kids in East Nashville. And immediately, uh, I think that's where God planted the seed. And I just fell in love with the kids. Uh, They were so amazing. And God showed me immediately just how much potential these kids have and just how amazing they are. And that, you know, it just takes one person believing in them and encouraging them. And, you know, God just put that on my heart that I could, I could do that. I could be that for these kids. And so I just kept getting more and more involved over the years, working through a few different organizations. And one day God put it on my heart to start my own organization. And I was just like, oh, no. <laughs> you know, I was, it was incredibly overwhelming. I had uh, no idea what that looked like, what it was, when it was going to happen. And it was just a crazy moment. And God just told me, be still be patient, just wait, and, you know, lean into me, and I will tell you uh, when, where, how, and everything, and so that's what I did. I waited for about eight months to a year, and uh, I was out on the lake one day with my buddy Jordan. He's a part of this church. Yeah, he is a part of this church, yeah, Um, and we were out there, and we were going out to the lake three to four days a week, uh, then surfing, tubing, uh, wakeboarding, you know, that's what I grew up doing, And uh, he just was like, he told me, he's like, dude, I bet the kids that you work with have never seen a lake or a boat before. And that just blew my mind. I never thought about that. Something that was a part of my life that just seemed so common and natural for a whole community to have never seen something like a big body of water, something that beautiful. And it just broke my heart. And in that moment, I knew with absolute clarity um, that that was what I was meant to do. And it was... A crazy moment because I've never felt anything like that before in my life. I just absolutely uh, knew that's what I was supposed to do. And it just, it took off from there. It started with one boat and a small group of kids, and it just, God blew it up overnight and just done amazing things.
0: You know, one of the things that's so cool, I, I think a lot of times when we're thinking about living as priest in the place that God's put us, we, we, we tend to think of like very Sunday-oriented kind of religious type activities, but all of a sudden, you know, Clint and these guys just started seeing how their passion could really be infused with the purposes of God to make a difference in the life uh, of these kids. And so, you know, during the summer, I mean, they're, you're out on the lake, you know, day after day after day, like in, in investing in the lives of these kids, like teaching them. Can you talk a little bit about just kind of the lake experience? Like why, why has it been important for uh, you to not only just take this thing that you love and use it for the things of God, but how, how has that experience been a place where the, the kids have felt safe and have felt loved and cared for? Like, Why has that been such an important part of the story?
1: Yeah, so I think, you know, kind of like what you were saying earlier in the sermon, uh, that when you do find the passions that um, God has given you and you really lean into those, I think that's when you shine the brightest and when you can really bless uh, the most people. And so um, I think that God really calls all of us to lean into our passions and to share them with as many people as we possibly can to bless them and to just show them his goodness. And um, I think that that looks different for everybody. Uh, I just know that for me specifically, at the core of my being, God just made me wild at heart. He, uh, He gave me a passion for water sports and adventure and outdoors and just anything fun and exciting and just gave me the heart of a kid pretty much, even as an old man right now. Um, I love, like,
0: only at our church would you yeah, be an old man. Right? like yeah. you're, you're I like guess I'm ce- an elder, right? You're like our
1: senior citizen or something. Yeah,
0: that's so
1: funny. But yeah, and it turns out that that relates really well to these kids. These kids are all wild at heart, too, and so God you know, through that created something that's very wild and fun and just uh, captured the hearts of so many of the kids in this one central neighborhood. And it's just been absolutely amazing to sit back and see. I know you guys have seen God do
0: just some incredible things the last couple of years, but is there like just a story or two of where you've just seen just his transformative work in some of these kids' lives as you've done this stuff?
1: Yeah. Um, it's crazy to look back sometimes and just, it's hard to believe some of the things that have happened. Uh, he's, he's just worked in the hearts of so many of the kids and so many of the families in the neighborhood. Um, opened the doors, uh, so many doors that I just never thought were gonna open in just the most miraculous ways. And um, also, you know, even changed my heart and has, has worked in my life so much since it started. Uh, but one story in particular that's near and dear to my heart uh, there's a kid in the program. His name's Malcolm. He's 14 years old. Uh, a couple years ago, he was one of the kids that we were most concerned about. He had uh, already started dipping his toes into the gang life, and we prayed so much for this kid and just were so concerned for him and just were always wondering how can we, you know, try harder to love him, to build a relationship with him, and we just kept pressing into that relationship over a couple years, and uh, about mid Last summer in our program, we were on the lake, and Malcolm turned to uh, me and Dan, which Dan is another guy who goes to church here. You may know him. He helped me start this. Um, and he was like, I want to get baptized. And we were both like, holy moly. Like, really? <laughs> and he was like, he was like, yeah. And it just so happened that they were doing a uh, baptism service here at Ethos that very same day. So Dan and I looked at each other again, and we're like, okay, let's shut down shop. You didn't want to do this at the lake, the body water, you're already there. <laughs> we should have. That would have been awesome. Yeah, I just I cared. didn't even think about it, yeah. Yeah. You're like, you're like, this water is no good. Let's go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, so we, we packed it in and uh, got all the kids in our vans and brought them here to the service. And uh, Malcolm got baptized that night and gave his life to Jesus. And it was so amazing. Just yeah. so cool.
0: It kind of tell about the story, like what's unfolded even
1: since then in, in his life. Yeah. Um, since then, he, I've just seen a miraculous turnaround in his life. Um, he's one of the best role models and leaders in the community that we have. He uh, not only is a part of the program, but we, is actually employed by us now and works year-round for us as a tutor during the school year and as a boat hand during the summer. So we're teaching him how to drive boats and everything there is to – being you know a lake person and everything and uh, yeah so even when we're not in the neighborhood he's just still there just loving on kids and just being a great role model. It's, I mean just coolest thing I've ever seen in my life for sure.
0: How cool is that? Can we celebrate that? Just it's awesome. It's so cool. You know uh, tomorrow begins kind of the next season for you guys where you know all these kids are going to show up and. And what I love about kind of their journey is uh, the lake for so many of these kids is just the starting point. It opens the door for meaningful relationship that goes way beyond the lake, and uh, that journey is going to start for so many kids tomorrow. I look out at our church and, you know, across our church, we have so many people that would love to get involved, would love to serve, would love to help. What are just a few tangible ways maybe the folks here at The Five could could help you out in what you do?
1: Um, I think the biggest way is just to come hang out with us on the lake, you know, come hang out uh, build relationships with kids and, um, with their families and, uh, just help us serve on the water. Um, I'm reminded of something that I heard a while back that's really stuck with me and was actually part of the inspiration for water walkers. And it was that one of the biggest factors in a kid's development in life is just having one person that believes in them Mm -hmm. and encourages them. And, um, that, that blew me away. And, that's just something that seems so simple, but it's not that common in the neighborhood that we work in, which is heartbreaking. Um, so I would just encourage anybody that wants to come out on the water and wants to be that one person in a kid's life, just come out and have fun and build a relationship and get there early enough, and I'll teach you how to surf or whatever you want to learn how to do, and it'll just be a really fun time. That's awesome. You know, I, I'm not sure if you're picking up on
0: this, but literally, the volunteer opportunity is to go to the lake And to hang out on the lake all day, like, like you can, did you know you can serve Jesus like on a lake? Like, you know, there's times when we ask you all to volunteer and to do things that are like really difficult and hard and take a lot. And not that what you do isn't difficult and hard. I didn't mean it like that. Um, But like, that's a part of the journey. And and some of you may be sitting here going, man, like, I I would love to be a part of that. Uh, Tonight, even uh, before you leave, you can stop out in the lobby. You'll see Clint and some of the team out there. Uh, There's these sheets right here that'll give you more information on volunteering. And uh, I want to encourage you to stop, pick up one of these sheets. You can fill out uh, your information, let them know that you want to volunteer. They've got over 250 volunteer opportunities just for this summer alone, not to mention what's going to come in the fall uh, when we want to tutor. And so one of the things that we're wanting to do as a church family is to, to get in this summer and to build relationships with these students And then beyond the summer, to carry those relationships into into places and spaces that are really, really meaningful. So one of the opportunities that you have is is to serve. But one of the other opportunities is to pray. I I want you to get this card out that's on your seat right there. And uh, I I love this, you know, as Clint mentioned at the beginning, uh, starting tomorrow, there's going to be 47 kids. 47 kids that are entering in. Uh, to the ministry. And one of the things that we asked Clint to do is to give us the name and the age, the first name and the age of every kid in the program. And we're asking every person in our church to take these cards home with them this, uh, this evening and to spend the next 60 days every day praying over one of these kids. Put it on your refrigerator, put it in your car, put it in your Bible, put it wherever you'll remember. But to take this card with you and to pray very specifically that the kingdom of God will break into these kids' lives just like they did with Malcolm. Um, Clint, would you just kind of talk about the significance of like why prayer matters to you guys and and, and why it's helpful for us to to pray with you
1: yeah, absolutely um, so we pray for the kids uh continuously and they're they're amazing kids um, something that we see a lot and something that we pray for a lot is just for them to know that they are loved you know know that they're loved by God and by our staff and our volunteers and by their community and their families um, because one of the things that breaks my heart the most is Something that happens all the time in the neighborhood is, you don't love me or you don't like me. You don't want to take me to the lake, and I have to constantly. I I do love you, and I do want to take you (laughs) here. I do want to help you, and I think one of the coolest things I've seen is just to see these kids over the years that they just they stop saying that and they start believing it as we become consistent. Um, So I think that just praying that that they know that they're loved is just a huge thing because. It's something that a lot of the kids just don't know. Mm-hmm. Um. And can you, can you help me show
0: just our love and
1: appreciation for what God's
0: doing in, Clint, in the ministry? Thank you. You. How awesome is that? And I just go, man, how many kingdom dreams are just kind of sitting in this room? You know, but you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's special possession so that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And you know, some of you are sitting here and you go, man, okay, that's, that's Clint's thing, that's awesome. You know, maybe that's not your thing. Some of you are sitting here going, man, God's put a dream in my heart or how did I discover that dream that's in my heart? And you know, several months ago, we introduced this resource to you. It's called the Love, Love Your Neighbor Handbook. And if you, if you didn't take one, or maybe if you did a few months ago, but you haven't gone through it yet, I wanna encourage you tonight before you leave to stop out in the lobby by the table. table. You'll see these, these booklets there. And it's, it's literally just a resource that we put together to help you figure out what your unique purpose in the kingdom of God is. And it literally, it just starts on page one, it says, start here, and it's the who and the what, like, like who has God called you to be a priest among, and what is it that he's calling you to do as you reflect his glory, as you remember the outsider, as you reconcile the hurting? And it's just this journey through this little booklet. It gives you some questions to reflect on, some things to talk about, some things to see. And, And kind of the design of it is to help you wrestle with not only who are you in Jesus, but what is Jesus inviting you into right here and right now for his glory and the good of those that are around you. And I go, man, when I think about our church, I go, what would happen this summer? If all, however many of us there are across all of our campuses, a few thousand of us said, you know what? We don't just exist to sing songs and to hear sermons and to sit in this place, but we exist to live in to the purposes of God. I go, I believe a lot of us will begin to experience right here and right now what so many of Phyllis' friends experienced yesterday when we were in that funeral, is that there is this beautiful collision that begins to unfold when we begin to walk in our God-given identity and our God-given purposes when you do those two things, you cannot help but bless the people around you. And so tonight, before we take communion, before we have worship, we're going to spend some time in prayer. And I want to just challenge you to kind of pray over two things. First and foremost, I want to challenge you to take this little prayer card that was in your seat here in a second. You can circle your chairs up. And I want you to spend some time with the people next to you praying out loud over each of the names that are on your card. Just the card that you have praying for those kids, praying that they would feel loved. You know, this is the last worship gathering of the evening, so you can circle your chairs up, you can make a mess, you don't have to keep things nice and neat here tonight, but let's get together and pray for these kids. And then secondly, I want you to just ask God, hey God, would you awaken me to the purposes, the unique purposes that you have for my life? You know, God, would you awaken me to some of the things that you've been doing all around me but I've just never noticed before? And so we're going to take some time right now to, to pray for these kids and to pray that God would awaken us. And then when we're done doing that, I'll send us to communion into our time of worship. So Cole's going to put some music on. Let's circle up your chairs. Let's spend some time right now praying for these kids and that God would awaken us into his purposes. And then in a few minutes, I'll send you to communion.